What's up with Jessup? It's the only way to wake up. We state our views, state facts, and then afterwards we make up from politics, business to lifestyle. Let's get this. Jessup Jong knows all the facts. He has no missed list. This podcast is your place for breaking news and hot takes. It's the only way to wake up. What's up with Jessup? Hello, we are joined here today with Greg Scarletu, the Executive Director for the Committee for Human Rights in North Korea. Welcome. Thank you, Jessup. First, please let us know what HRNK does. Established in 2001 by group of most prominent scholars, former diplomats, former senior government officials, private sector representatives, HRNK is the only US-based think tank tasked exclusively to investigate and report on the North Korean human rights situation. Thank you. So please tell me about yourself. How did you And I know this story, but how did you come to get into human rights in North Korea? I was born and raised in communist Romania, which was the one Eastern European country that was most similar to Kim Il-sung's North Korea. As you may recall, Kim Il-sung and Ceausescu, then dictator of Romania, were very good friends, and Ceausescu was trying to turn Romania into the North Korea of Eastern Europe. I was a freshman at Bucharest University uh, when communism fell uh, through revolution in December 1989. A few months later, I took a few exams and became the first Romanian ever to study in South Korea as a South Korean government scholarship student. They hadn't had diplomatic relations before. They were established in March 1990, had had diplomatic relations only with the North Koreans before that. So, of course, I'm a naturalized American now, but it's... um, a matter of personal and emotional commitment, having been born and raised mm-hmm. in the one Eastern European country most similar to Kim Il-sung's North Korea, and having lived for a decade on a divided Korean peninsula while living, studying, and working in South Korea. I see. And now you speak, speak fluent Korean, which is very impressive. So they say, yes. Uh, back in the day, uh, so I have a BA and MA in international relations from Seoul National University. I did this after one year of intensive language training. Back in the day when I was there, there were no special graduate schools dedicated to English-speaking international students or overseas Koreans, no GSIS-type schools. So uh, I basically took classes uh, with my Korean classmates, which was full immersion, very difficult for about two, three years. Paid off. It's a never ending learning process. One just keeps learning. That's true. So, my question is for an average person in the United States, why should people care about human rights in North Korea? Does it impact their daily lives? Uh, Americans fundamentally care about the human rights and others. Um, I speak to a lot of audiences and I go beyond a Washington DC audience. Of course, I speak on university campuses. I speak to, uh, well, various uh, branches of the military. 
military academies. Uh, and I also speak a lot, for example, to uh, Rotary clubs and other gatherings outside uh, the, the larger urban uh, concentrations. Uh, and one comes to realize that this is a fundamental, distinctive feature of Americans. They do care about human rights. They are deeply moved by, by stories of oppression, repression, violence against the innocent. And Americans fundamentally identify with the underdog. There is uh, extraordinary sympathy for human rights, civil rights, and justice. This is very much part of the American spirit. That makes sense. You've talked about talking to a military audience as well. Even if people did not care about what people go through, is there a reason for them to care? Is there a security aspect to this as well? Or do you think... Well, first and foremost, the United States is um, the United States government is very keen on ensuring that members of the armed forces um, are fully trained. Uh, not only technically, they're very good at what they do, but they also understand the context where they deploy. And as part of that, it's very important to have trainers, trainers who teach, for example, officers and NCOs. If they're deployed to uh, to South Korea, for example, or Japan. Uh, it's important for them to learn about the politics, economy, society, human rights, and so on and so forth of South Korea, North Korea, Japan, and so on and so forth. It's very important to have knowledgeable members of the armed forces, and that, that's what we have here today. I've met with quite a few of them, and I can confidently make this statement. I see. So what do you think about the current situation with higher interactions between the United States and North Korea. Do you see this as a good or bad sign? Diplomacy is always a good thing. I'm a student of diplomacy myself. I will never speak against diplomacy. Um, if one looks at the track record, if you look at what the Trump administration is doing right now, the Trump administration is standing by our golden standard, which is uh, now it's FFVD. Uh, full, final, uh, verifiable denuclearization. Uh, it used to be CVID, complete, verifiable, irreversible denuclearization, which means basically the same thing. Verifiable, complete termination, dismantlement of the North Korean nuclear program. Um, the administration continues to adhere to the standard. Uh, so what I have seen this year has been uh, diplomacy that has been quite cognizant of um, the diplomatic history between the United States and North Korea, uh, that is not a, a very positive uh, record there. The, unfortunately, the, the Kim regime has breached pretty much each and every international obligation has assumed. To give you just a few examples, it joined the Non-Proliferation Treaty in 1985 just to pull out of the NPT and develop nuclear weapons. It joined the agreed framework, the Geneva Agreed Framework, in 1994, only to cheat and develop a clandestine uranium enrichment program. The same story goes with the six-party talks. The same story uh, goes with, for example, the Leap Day Agreement. If you recall the February uh, 2012 meeting between Ambassador Glenn Davis, who was then uh, Special Envoy 
for North Korea policy here in the United States, and Kim Kang-won was uh, first vice foreign minister in North Korea. Again, that the promise to place a moratorium on uh, nuclear testing, missile launches, was breached by announcing just two and a half weeks later the launch of a, well, so-called satellite. Of course, that failed, but then in December of the same year, uh, North Korea actually managed to place a satellite into orbit. Don't even get me started on human rights obligations. This is um, a uh, state that is a member of the United Nations. It is thus bound by the U.S. You know, it is thus bound by the U.N. Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Remember, December the 10th, this coming December the 10th, is the 70th anniversary of the U.N. Universal Declaration of Human Rights. The DPRK is a party to the uh, International Covenant um, on Civil and Political Rights, the International Covenant on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights, the Women's Convention, the Children's Convention, the Convention on the Rights of, of People with Disabilities, and yet each and every conceivable human right is violated in North Korea. Uh, the current administration is fully aware of, of the record. And I also believe that uh, the administration is aware of the nature of the Kim regime and its fundamental strategic objectives. So that said, diplomacy must never stop. It must be informed diplomacy. This year we have seen a flurry of summit diplomacy. One meeting between President Trump and Kim Jong-un, three summit meetings between President Moon Jae-in and Kim Jong-un, and three summit meetings between uh, Xi Jinping, the Chinese leader, and Kim Jong-un, with contacts with other leaders and exchanges with uh, the Cuban uh, president and uh, Vladimir Putin. So 2018, diplomatically speaking, has been a very successful year for North Korea. One year ago, in November of 2017, if you said Kim Jong-un, the first thought that came to mind was genocide, political prison camps, crimes against humanity, accountability. Well, the fact of the matter is that the situation on the ground has not changed, and Kim Jong-un's image today is very different from what it was one year ago, just because he has had the opportunity to engage in some of diplomacy. Again, we do hope that at the end of the road, it is peace, reconciliation, unification that's awaiting us. We'll see how it goes. But there should be no wishful thinking in the process. We must understand what we're dealing with. We've talked about lots of conventional measures in the past that have either failed or succeeded. Um, and we've also seen a lot of conventions in the United Nations. However, now we're going to unconventional diplomatic measures where it's the declaration of peace on the Korean Peninsula. What do you think about these kinds of unconventional measures? Should they be considered as heavily? Well, uh, these unconventional overtures, be it uh, declarations, be it military-to-military uh, -military agreements, be it summit meetings, these unconventional measures have played the role of creating movement, some movement on North Korea issues. Now it is very important to channel this movement. So beyond declarations and summit meetings, it is very important that these issues are left in the hands of technical experts. 
who can actually work out the details. It makes sense to say that the one individual who matters in North Korea is Kim Jong-un. It makes sense to say that if you want to get things done, you go straight to the top. But excuse the cliche, the devil is in the details. The top leaders do not know the technical details of what we are de dealing with. Um, be the nuclear program, the missile program, and most regrettably, human rights as well. Well, of course, everyone is generally aware, including or especially Kim Jong-un, because he sits at the top of the system, that this is a regime that's still running political prison camps. Of those technicalities that are not talked about, uh, do you focus on political prison camps at HRMK? Well, naturally, this is a human rights organization. Again, this is a think tank. Our primary mission is to investigate and report on the North Korean human rights situation. Of course, since human rights is at the core of our mission, there is an advocacy element embedded in what we do, and we are human rights defenders. Uh, we reach out to UN agencies, we reach out to UN member states. Uh, whenever summoned, we testify before the US Congress, we provide research material to congressional offices. In other words, we enable an informed decision-making process. And of course, our research is focused on human rights. And that said, there are connections, clear connections that can be established between human rights violations and the political, security, military challenges that North Korea poses. Right. And you've talked about these uh, political prison camps, human rights in North Korea. Have they been improved? in recent times with unconventional diplomatic measures? Uh, as had happened before, diplomacy in 2018 has been focused on the military, political, security conundrum. Human rights has been outcompeted by these other very important issues. That is precisely why the mission of HRNK is to continue to focus attention on human rights because the actual situation on the ground has not improved. Um, that said, uh, although, again, international media have been focused on nukes, missiles, political, military security issues, we have continued to have a very good coverage, both in the English language and Korean language press and other languages as well, of course. Um, we've, uh, we've had somewhere in the range of over 360 Korean language reports, over 360 English language reports. October 2018 was the month with the highest coverage, mm. the highest number of hits in the Korean press for HRNK. Mm. Um, it, it might sound silly, counting mentions of HRNK's work, HRNK's role in the press, it is extraordinarily important because this is how you maintain the issue at the top of the agenda. And what was at October, I'm just curious. Uh, well, we had a, a major event at the United Nations that was covered. Um, I authored a piece in the, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal that had quite significant coverage here and also in South Korea. And uh, of course, um, what was happening in October was that the UN General Assembly in the third committee was working on a draft resolution on DPRK human rights. 
Now, along those lines, we received a lot of inquiries from reporters mm. from here in the United States, from Korea, and from elsewhere. So, and congratulations with the New York event as well as the op-ed. Thank you, and to you as well. Um, so, what kind of policy would you like to see from the United States and South Korean governments? Well, um, we uh, surely witnessed a positive development. Both uh, the United States and the Republic of Korea co-sponsored the UN General Assembly Resolution on Human Rights in the DPRK. Credit must be given when it is due. Uh, the next step will be to place North Korean human rights on the agenda of the UN Security Council. This has happened every December since 2014. So 2014, 15, 16, 17, this would be the fifth time. It is very important to hold our ground, although diplomacy continues, uh, although nuclear and missile diplomacy continues, it is very important for human rights diplomacy to continue at the UN as well. The United States, South Korea, the European Union, Japan and others, Australia, New Zealand, um, have been the main drivers of this informal coalition of the like-minded, a coalition that has supported measures uh, dealing, addressing uh, DPRK human rights at the UN. Um, of course, in the United States, uh, there are several other steps that could be taken. Of course, here, traditionally, the most active branch of government on DPRK human rights has been the Congress. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the North Korean Human Rights Act has been signed into law by the President. Uh, the Act uh, first passed in 2004, extended in 2008, 2012, has now been extended through 2022. Of course, the Act establishes the position of Special Envoy for North Korean Human Rights. That's an ambassadorial position. We haven't had a Special Envoy for North Korean Human Rights since January 2017, when Ambassador Robert King, who's now a board member, stepped down as uh, a special envoy. That is a very long time. Uh, yes, and uh, we, if you see these developments, of course, we have um, a special envoy for North Korea issues, uh, Mr. Stephen Began, who seems to be doing a terrific job. Uh, it's not possible for a special envoy for North Korea policy to very thoroughly include human rights into his or her mandate for two main reasons. Too much work. The ground to cover would be really unrealistic. Mm -hmm. Secondly, it is, I think, from a negotiating perspective, quite difficult for the same person to address both sets of issues. Right. And that is the next question, where people criticize that human rights diverts attention from denuclearization or even the diplomatic efforts what do you say to that? Is it possible to go in parallel? To that I say, when did human rights become such a nuisance, such an obstacle? Why is human rights such an obstacle? After all, fundamentally, the main objective of politics, uh, diplomacy, is the, the ultimate impact it has on the people. In this case, the true measure of reconciliation peace, eventually unification on the Korean Peninsula, will be the impact it has on the people of South and North Korea. What we all want is reconciliation, but reconciliation devoid of truth, 
is impossible. This is what we do here. Um, our primary mission is to investigate, find out, and tell the truth about North Korea's human rights situation. Truth is the only pillar of true reconciliation and true peace. Um, we talk a lot about fake things these days. We do not want fake peace on the Korean Peninsula. We want long-lasting peace. This is a people that live together under the same political system for 1,000 years, one millennium prior to separation. Again, truth, telling the truth about the human rights of North Koreans mm -hmm. is a very important ingredient of this peace process. Nobody's perfect. South Korea is a fantastic country, it's not perfect. The United States is a fantastic country, it's not perfect. This can be a dialogue. Is it possible? Absolutely. Yeah. But um, the, the North Korean regime must really take this leap. Anything human rights is rejected as an effort to bring down the regime. That is absolutely not the case. You can look it up. This organization, representatives of this organization making statements on behalf of HRNK, myself included, have never ever called for regime change in North Korea. Mm -hmm. That is not our concern. Our concern is the human rights of North Koreans. That is some truth right there. I hope it leads to true truth with North Korea someday. Absolutely. Yes. Another question is, for people, young people who are looking into a career, into foreign diplomacy or a career related to North Korea, do you have any advice for them? Uh, yes, they should keep their options open, uh, they should keep their horizon very open while cultivating this interest in North Korean issues, they must develop te technical expertise in other areas as well. Uh, of course, there is need for expertise in diplomacy, international relations, Asia-Pacific studies, economics, uh, development. And by development, I mean not only economic development. I used to work in international development myself. This is such a broad area. I would say that fundamentally, if there is an opportunity for this generation, young people from this generation, people in their, well, teens, 20s, 30s, uh, that opportunity will be the development of the northern half of the Korean Peninsula. Um, in order to do that, there are numerous, numerous areas of expertise, you name it, from infrastructure to education, healthcare, behavior change, you, you name it. That's great advice, thank you. Um, and now, where can people find HRNK? Are there any publications that you make, any sites that they can find more about? hrnk.org, all of our publications, more than 30 of them, are available as PDF files. Uh, we also have a, a significant social media presence. Please friend us, like us. This way, those who want to stay in touch will know what's going on, will know what events we have planned, will know what reports we are rolling out. It's important to stay in touch. Yes. Please check out HRNK. And thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure. The pleasure is all mine, Jessup. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked it, don't be too greedy. Share. Share with other people so that other people can learn from the same information that you do. So share this. I also have two books out, um, especially the uh, book on Amazon. You can search my name, Jessup Jong, on Amazon, and you will find the book Human Suffering. The Kindle version is out, and the paperback will be out soon. 
it is uh, delivered to all regions and locations. So if you're interested, um, let me know and and you can buy the book. If you've bought the book and you're a fan of the podcast, uh, please feel free to send me a message of what you thought about the book and I'll feature your question or comment on the podcast. So share the podcast and buy the book. Thank you for tuning in and I'll see you next time.